0: Amen. This morning, as I mentioned, we do come to the final Sunday of our 40 days of prayer. And we come to this one simple verse as we conclude things on this theme of evangelize now. And that verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, where it simply says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Alliance pastor from years ago, A.W. Tozer, once said, Time is a resource that is non-renewable and non-transferable. You cannot store it, slow it up, hold it up, divide it up, or give it up. You can't hoard it up or save it for a rainy day. When it's lost, it is unrecoverable. When you kill time, remember that it has no resurrection. It's an encouraging thought. But it's something that we all know instinctively, and that is time goes fast. And it feels like with every passing year you're alive, time seems to speed up exponentially. I remember growing up, and it felt like summer vacation from school. It felt like that was like eight months long. Like it was just this endless summer bliss. But then as you grow up, suddenly it, you realize that's just basically a few weeks. And it goes by with the snap of a finger. And that is time that we can't go back and redeem. It's time we can't go back and have. And so the call from the Apostle Paul and our theme for this morning is to make the most of the time that we have. To invest ourselves in the work of the kingdom. Because the first point that we see here is that salvation has a time and that time is now. Salvation has a time and that time is now. It says now is the day of salvation. Now, literally this present time, this present moment is the moment of salvation. In Acts chapter eight, verses 26 to 40, it says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In this humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself? Or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road they came up to some water. And the eunuch said, "See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized?" And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotis, and he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the town until he came to Caesarea. This great story of Philip who's simply minding his own business, but the Spirit calls him to do something. The Spirit invited him to be a part of the work of the kingdom of God. And so not only does Philip go to where the Spirit leads him, once the Spirit shows him, this is the person I want you to talk to, if you'll notice, Philip runs. He doesn't simply walk over, he runs to talk to the eunuch. And it just so happens, as is often the case with God, that this individual is reading the Scriptures. He's reading the Scriptures and he's wondering Who are the scriptures are talking about? I mean, this is a golden moment, a golden opportunity for him to share Christ, the good news of Christ. Throat's drying up fast, excuse me. Had Philip not obeyed, had Philip even waited to obey God, he would have missed this moment. He would have missed this opportunity. Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. It says, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor, the crippled, and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Again, this constant theme of Jesus. Go. Go to the people who need to hear Go and find people who are ready. Go and find people who are spiritually seeking because they're out there. I've shared before that I was one of those people, I was desperate for somebody to tell me how to be right with God. And God brought those people into my life. And I can almost guarantee you that those people are somehow in your life. You may not even know it. I remember having the opportunity where Happens a couple different times where somebody might sit down in my office and share how they're just, that they want to know how to be right with God. And God just gives you this opportunity and just share the simple message of Jesus and see them come to faith in Christ. Because those people are out there. They just need to be invited, they need to be told how they can come into a right relationship with God. So Jesus tells the story to say, go out there now. Don't wait. I want my house full. I want my kingdom full. And this is what ought to motivate us as believers, not because we're, we're guilted into sharing Christ, not because we're required or because we, we feel like it's an obligation, but because this is the longing of the heart of Jesus to see people who are far from him be brought near to him. To go out to the highways and the hedges. Have you ever been prompted to tell somebody about Jesus? A a lot of times we, we feel that prompting, and sometimes we're quick to just shove it aside, but what if maybe it's the Holy Spirit stirring something? Have you ever felt prompted to pray for somebody? You might be at a gas station and paying for your gas, but there could be a prompting to pray for the cashier. There's a reason. Because the Holy Spirit knows that person and knows what's happening in their heart. And the Holy Spirit knows that you are just the right person to connect with the needs of the, that that person is facing. Now is the time of salvation. The time to obey Jesus, the time to obey His calling is now. It's today. secondly, Salvation has a source, and that is God through Christ. Salvation has a source. It's God through Christ. This is why the message must be put forth, because it's not simply, well, I'm just going to try really hard and be good, and, and then I'll earn my way to right standing with God. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son because he loves the world and longs to see those in the world come to repentance and trust in Christ. Notice how this is the initiative of God. This is God's initiative to seek and save the lost. He sent his Son for us. It wasn't that we were seeking after God. God was seeking after us. And then John five twenty four. This is truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. As I just said, I I felt a stirring in my soul and it had nothing to do with me. I was a twelve year old kid. I was stupid. I don't have these profound thoughts of I need to be right with God and secure my eternity. It was something the Holy Spirit was working and at age 12, I began longing for somebody to tell me how to be right with God. What if we began to have eyes to see and to notice where God is working? The people in whom God is stirring. What if we were to become sensitive to that and to recognize that? and to come alongside of those individuals to help them, to answer their questions, to talk with them, to help them process what this means. It requires that we listen. And that's a skill that is sadly lost anymore. Everyone is quick to speak and quick to jump on an issue, but we're so slow to just listen for a moment. Because if we take a moment to listen, you know, we often wonder, how, how can I make Jesus relevant? How can I connect this person to Jesus? What's the entry point to introduce the conversation? I mean, we can have the conversation about the Steelers hiring an offensive coordinator. How do I turn that around into a spiritual conversation? Well, don't try, because it's going to be really ugly. But if you just listen to them, listen to them talk about life, about their struggles, their heartaches, you'll begin to see where Jesus connects and where they can experience the touch of Christ in their life. Salvation has a time, it's now. Salvation has a source, it's God through Christ. Thirdly, salvation has a purpose. The purpose of reconciliation, redemption, atonement. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This Greek concept of reconciliation was exchanging coins for something of an equal value. But it became the sense of there's been an exchange. This life for life, that Christ took our sins, that he gives us his righteousness. There's now been this exchange. We've been reconciled. We've literally been returned to favor with God. Notice what that verse says. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That is some of the greatest news, if not the greatest news you could ever hear. That in Christ, God no longer counts your trespasses against you. That now you can be restored, reconciled, brought back to a perfect relationship with God. The kind of relationship that Adam and Eve had with God in the garden before they ate of the fruit. Where there's nothing that stands between you and God. That relationship, that invitation is open to all. And so as that verse says, having reconciled us, God has now entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. He has now called us as reconciled people to be ambassadors of reconciliation. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This sense of redemption. The Greek word apolutrosis, which means to be set free because a payment's been made. That your freedom has been purchased. You've been purchased out of slavery, and now you are free. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The sense of atonement the sense of atonement that sin has been dealt with, that there has been reconciliation. If you look at the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for atonement is to cover over. And you see this displayed in a number of ways that when the sacrificial animal is slain, the blood is put over top of the altar. So that the sense of God looking down, he sees the blood on the altar. It's the sense of a covering, that your sins have been covered over. But now we have this renewed sense of what atonement means, that it doesn't just mean covered over. I was the expert of covering over when I was little. For whatever reason, clean your room was like the worst thing that could be said to me. So I would just shove everything under the bed and room clean. But then it's clean under your bed. Well, there's always the closet. <laughs> Clean your closets. You you can't just move trash from one place. It's got to be cleaned. And the Old Testament concept is that the sin is just shoved under the bed so it's not seen. But the New Testament sense, through the blood of Christ now, is it's gone. It's not there. It's as if you stand in that dirty room, snap your fingers, and everything is neat, tidy. All the trash is gone. That's what happens in Christ because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We are... Being brought into the sense of atonement. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The word justify means to make righteous. We are unrighteous people, but because of Christ, we have been justified. We've been declared righteous. We stand in the eternal court of law, and God is pounded the gavel to say that all charges are cleared. We're innocent. We have been made as we ought to be. This is the message of Christ, the message that we've been called to share with the world. Salvation has been provided through Jesus Christ for all people. Though This is from our statement of faith. Salvation has been provided through Jesus Christ for all people. Those who repent and believe in him are justified by grace through faith, born again of the Holy Spirit, delivered from the dominion of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of God's Son, granted the gift of eternal life, and adopted as the children of God. That is salvation. That is the message we are called to proclaim. So my invitation for us this morning is, can you identify maybe three people in your life who don't know Jesus? And the call isn't, how dare you not have shared the gospel with them this week? That's not the point. The invitation, who are those people? Some of the worst advice I was ever given in Christian youth group, was you need to sever all ties with your non-Christian friends. Now, I understand that if some of those friends were leading you into destructive behaviors, that's a different thing. But just cut off all your non-Christian friends. Only have Christian friends. Only surround yourself with Christian people. It's not what Jesus did. Because then all of a sudden we find ourselves like, "I, I have no people in my life who don't know Jesus who are some people close to you who don't know Jesus? How can you pray for them? Yes, praying for their salvation, but how can you just pray for them in general? What if you ask them, how can I pray for you? How can you show them the love of Jesus? Again, this isn't like they're they're my project. These are ways of saying, oh, Am I truly reflecting Christ to them? This year, the temptations will abound to be caught up in all kinds of political arguments, as with any beloved election year. But what if our emphasis was this is about something so much bigger than who's president? This is about this person's relationship with Jesus. How can I show them the love of Christ? Because if they don't know Jesus, but they still vote for our preferred candidate, what have we really accomplished? We've been given the message of the kingdom. How can you show them the love of Christ? I was in circles years ago that looked at all the times Jesus kind of was rough and aggressive with people. And that was kind of, see, it's okay to do that. But if you take a second look at those, you'll notice that those are almost exclusively interactions with the religious hypocrites, the Pharisees. If you look at how Jesus interacted with the non-religious elite, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, the ordinary everyday people, it's hard to find examples of Jesus being rough and aggressive with them. Something about Jesus and the way that he interacted with people, though he never condoned their sin, they established friendship with Jesus. And that's tough because that requires a balance that we're typically not very good at that Jesus could be accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners, always being invited to hang out with sinners and eat in their homes, but at the same time, he never condones their lifestyles. I often wonder, can the same be said of me? The last challenge is, what if we allowed ourselves to dial in, to listen for divine appointments. With new radios, it's so easy to hit the scan button away, it just looks for stations that come in clearly. But you still have the option of old fashioned going through every channel. And I remember in the older cars where you just had the knob you had to turn. And there became this artful science to just fine tuning that knob to get the station in just right. It's kind of like what it can be spiritually. To just dial in that frequency just right so that we become sensitive to the open opportunities that God has around us. For the people in our lives, or maybe complete strangers, that Jesus wants us to take a step out of our comfort zones and offer to pray for them or begin a conversation with them would we begin to ask God to dial in the frequency of our hearts? That we begin to sense when those divine appointments come our way. Because sometimes they happen at very inconvenient times. Those are also the times when God can very often show up in powerful ways. God has given us the message of reconciliation. Going through these 40 days of prayer, the, the temptation can always be to focus praying in such a way that it just becomes about me and God and nothing else matters. But if we are deeply connecting with God, but we are not being compelled to live out the mission of God, we, we've, we've broken something off along the line. But having spent 40 days aligning our hearts with God, our hearts should be ready to say, Jesus, I'm ready to now go and do the work you've called me to do. And that's going to look different for everybody. It's very possible your calling might be, I'm going to go to McDonald's at Five Points every morning with my Bible and get a cup of coffee and just read and pray that somebody comes up and asks me a question. What might it look like for you? See, Jesus, I want to be used by you. I don't know where to begin. I don't know what that's going to look like, but would you show me? Because I do believe that's a prayer he wants to answer for you. Let's pray. Lord, each one of us at some point needed somebody to tell us about you. The fact that we are here desiring